look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 30 for just a few moments this morning. I do believe that what I'm going to share is for people under the sound of my voice like never before. Like never before, God, I believe, has a word for people today. 1 Samuel chapter 30 begins with, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. They took captive the women and those that were small and great and and I, I won't take time to read it all. Verse 4 says, David and his people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They were taken captive, their families, their children. Verse 6, now great David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was so grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord and said, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, The Lord did. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover. And just one more quick reference to this amazing story. It says in verse 16, and when they brought him down, speaking of David, and he found what the people who had done this horrible thing that they had done, they were spread out over all the land. Notice this, eating, drinking, dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. That's David. That's his people. Then David attacked them. Everybody say attack. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode camels and fled. Verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his wives. The next verse ends with David recovered all. He recovered all. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning about this story because there's some powerful steps to victory that David took that everyone can take on the most devastating, broken day of your life. Ziglag was a city that was in existence in 1012 BC. David was 29 years of age. He had been anointed king but he was not yet reigning on the throne. His insane father-in-law, Saul, tried to kill him and had hit men out trying to assassinate him. He was running for his life. He gathered an army of people who were in distress, losers whose lives were not good, and he gathered 600 men in a cave. And instead of crying in his Starbucks in the cave... He made up his mind, I'm going to make winners out of these men and we're going to do something even though this is not a good circumstance. You see, Ziglag in this story represents the place that every person under the sound of my voice will find themselves at some point in your life. Ziglag is the in-between place. 
Ziglag is not Bethlehem, the place of beginnings. Ziglag is not Jerusalem, the place of destiny. Ziglag is the in-between place. It's a place where it's very uneventful. It's the place where you're waiting. It's where you're being developed. It's where God is processing you to handle the throne, the high place that he has called you to. You have this place called Ziglag in David's life. He lived there one year and four months. And David and his army was coming home from a military, successful military campaign. They had had great victories, and they had not seen their family in months, and they were so excited. The atmosphere and the mood was light and happy and joyful. When suddenly they look up and they see an ominous black car cloud over the city that they knew was where their families lived. And when they got to the top of the ridge and looked down, the whole city was burned with fire. Every home, every residence was burned with fire. And as they approached the city through broken sobs of a few survivors came a picture that was painted. The Amalekites attacked, killed, slaughtered, and kidnapped our sons and our daughters and our wives. They burned the city. They've stolen our wealth. We've lost everything. And in that moment, suddenly, the homes are burned, the families, I mean, just that alone, the home burning, all of your clothes, all of your memories, everything that you own up in ashes, the homes burned, the families lost, financial empire completely robbed. How do you go on? What do you do when you face day, a day like David had to face and every one of you are going to end up in Ziglag at some point. It's the worst day of your life. And we can pretend it's not going to happen, but you will have a day where you will find yourself standing in the ashes and the smoke of something that just absolutely devastated your life. David could not avoid Ziglag. You will visit it somewhere between the prophecy and the destiny. John 10, 10 said, the thief comes to everyone's life to kill, steal, and destroy. But David took some steps to victory, some practical things that you ought to do when you're at the worst place in your life. And the first thing that David did was number one, he wept. He wept, he, I think it's so significant that he stood in the midst of the smoldering ashes of everything that he had lost, and he began to weep. He wept for his city. He wept for his home. He wept for his children and his family and his wife. He began to weep. And not only did David weep, but this is so amazing to me, those mighty men, those powerful we would, we would call them Navy SEALs and then some because these men, if you read the book of Samuel, were warriors on another level, hand-to-hand -hand combat. In other words, they had faced death many times. They had become used to bloodshed. They had faced tragedy so many times, but on this day, grown, massive, strong, powerful men wept, your Bible said, until they could not weep 
anymore. They wept. That's what you do on the worst day of your life. There was no more strength to weep. A lot of people think that if you have faith, that somehow if you live by faith, you'll be immune to your feelings. That somehow you, you, you shouldn't let anything affect you. That any sign of tears and sorrow and grief and pain and devastation is somehow a failure of faith. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Many of the greatest people in the Bible wept. Abraham wept when he stood at the tomb of Sarah, his wife. We know that Joseph wept when he was reunited with his brothers after the family had been so divided and he had been estranged from them for years and years and years. And when he finally revealed himself, they all joined each other and, and grabbed each other and they wept. The Bible said that Hezekiah, when he received the news that he was going to die, set your house in order, he wept. The scripture said that Paul in Acts 26 said, I serve the Lord with many tears. And we know that even Jesus at the friend's, uh, at his friend's gravesite, Lazarus, Jesus wept. He was moved. He was God. He was all powerful. And yet there was something that made him weep. He wept because he felt the emotion and the sorrow of the moment. And so when you understand that, Ecclesiastes said there's a time to weep. Psalms 30 and verse 5 gives us a great promise about weeping. He said, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you have a, a, a night of weeping, you will have a dawn of faith. There will be another season of joy if you won't give up in the night of weeping. As a matter of fact, there is a weeping that can go beyond normal grief and you begin to enter into unbelief and self-pity. That's why God got angry in Numbers chapter 11 when the people of God were in the wilderness and they began to weep and say, we wish we were back in Egypt. And God said, that's not a weeping of sorrow. That's a weeping of unbelief. The tears, the tears don't have hope in them. The tears don't have faith in them. And it's all right to weep, but you weep knowing a season of joy will return. In the second book of Samuel, chapter 5, the Bible talks about David, and he was in the valley of Raphim. And Raphim is a Hebrew word that means giants. It translates giants. He was in the valley of gigantic trouble. And the Bible said he got under a, uh, a weeping tree, which the Hebrew word is baka, B-A-C-A. And as he was under the, see the picture, he's, he's, in a, he's under a weeping tree. He's got gigantic problems. He's in a valley, a dark, deep valley, and he doesn't know what to do and he feels overwhelmed. And suddenly the word of the Lord comes to him and the word of the Lord says, listen for the sound of rustling above the weeping trees. Because when you hear that sound, David, advance quickly. The Lord has gone before you to give you the victory over your enemy. In other words, he said, David, 
There's a sound above the sound of your weeping in your lowest valley surrounded with gigantic problems. And if you will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, He will not leave you in the valley weeping. But there's a sound above the sound of your weeping that's saying, victory is coming. I'm going to restore unto you what the enemy has taken. I will, you shall recover it all. And if you can't recover it, God can replace it with something even better. But the point is, there will be another season of joy. God will wipe every tear from your eye. God will take what the enemy meant to destroy you, and he will get glory out of it. If you believe it, say amen. You will never receive a miracle feeling sorry for yourself. At some point, you've got to come up out of the tears of unbelief and self-pity and say, I'm crying, but I'm also believing that if weeping endures for the night, joy is coming back to this family, to this marriage, to this life, to this situation. Clap your hands if you believe it and say, praise the Lord. Don't let grief conquer you. Don't let grief conquer you. Don't let it conquer you. Psalms 84 and verse 6 said, passing through the valley of Baca. Not taking up residence there. Baca is weeping. You will have times when you pass through. It goes on to say, if you read the, the verse, in, 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 it, says, it says you pass through. You don't take up residence. You don't live there. You don't stay there but you pass through. The four lepers had the right attitude. The four lepers asked the right question when tragedy hit and they were in the middle of death and devastation. You know what most people do when the tragedy hits their life? They ask all the wrong questions. I've been pastoring a long time and I've lived a long time and I find myself asking the wrong questions or hearing people. Why? They ask questions like this. Why has this happened to me? Why? What did I do to deserve this? How much more can I endure? They ask the wrong questions, but the four lepers had the right attitude in the middle of a tragedy, and they asked the right question. You know what they asked? They said, they said, you know what? Why sit we here until we die? Why should we just sit here? It has happened. There is nothing we can do that can change it. But bless God, we're not going to sit here till we die. We're going to get up and walk by faith into a brighter tomorrow because God promised if weeping endures for a night, there will be a dawn of faith. There will be a dawn of smiles and joy will be restored. You don't have to sit in the situation and be sad the rest of your life. I think I'll get up and I'll look for a better tomorrow. Shake off depression. Rise up out of fear and anxiety and even the trauma that you've been through and throw up your hands and say, I've got a promise, and if David could recover, I will recover in Jesus' mighty name. Say amen, everybody. The second thing that you do when all awful things happen is number one, you weep, but you weep with faith, knowing 
that another season of joy is coming. That's God's promise. Number two, you refuse to get bitter. Because the Bible said that the men began to blame David. David, who had helped these men immensely. David, who had done all kinds of things for them. But in that moment, when tragedy hits, human nature inside of all of us is to blame someone. We start blaming one another. We start blaming this person and that person. And then we begin to get bitter once we move from tears if we don't control ourselves and line up with the Word of God when we're going through a grief and a tragedy and the worst situations that life can offer us. If we don't watch it, we get bitter at people and we blame people or we get bitter at God and we blame God. And this is what David refused to do. About Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 said, Be careful that a root of bitterness not spring up in you when something happens that you don't understand or somebody does something wrong to you, that a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and many there be defiled by it. In other words, a root of bitterness, the text said, causes trouble. Trouble in your health if you get bitter. Trouble in your mind. Trouble in all your relationships. When you carry bitterness and unforgiveness, it will destroy you. Proverbs, uh, or, uh, Proverbs talks about that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And what you have to do is you have to realize that when you have a tragedy, don't just curse it and rehearse it, and disperse it, and then curse it some more, and rehearse it, and talk about it more and more, and then disperse it, and tell everybody, and more and more. You keep doing that. It's a vicious cycle of curse it, and rehearse it, and disperse it, curse it, rehearse it, disperse it. I want to throw one more in there. Reverse it. Reverse it. How do you do that? It starts out as a seed of offense, but if you walk in forgiveness, then that seed is eradicated. But if you don't forgive and you don't release forgiveness, that seed becomes a root of bitterness. And Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 19 that offenses will come. Bad things will happen. People will do you wrong. Situations will come where you have in the natural a reason to be offended. But he said, don't let that get a hold of you. Colossians 3 said, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, love one another, forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you, Matthew 6, 15. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your trespasses. Well, how in the world do I get beyond the bitterness, Pastor? How? How do I do it? The Bible said, that the children of Israel in Exodus 15 were in the wilderness and they were thirsty and there was a pool of water that they found, but when they tasted the water, it was bitter. But God showed Moses a tree and he said, take a limb off that tree and put it in the bitter water and the bitterness will become sweet when the tree gets in that bitter situation. What is the tree? Proverbs 15 and 4 tells us how to turn bitterness into sweetness. A wholesome tongue is as a tree of life. And what Moses put that tree in that bitter water and it turned it sweet. Our tree is 
our words. In other words, speak words of healing, not words of criticism. Speak words and use your tongue for healing. Use your tongue in bitter situations and begin to speak the Word of God and begin to speak life. If your marriage is bitter, if your life is bitter, our tongues can be the healing force that turns bitterness and roots of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness into healing. The tree of life is right there in your mouth. It's called your tongue. And when you speak, a wholesome tongue is as a tree of life. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence. Watch this. For out of it springs water. That's speaking of water. Springs the issues of life. And so you speak healing words and you turn bitter into sweetness. He, he made up his mind and he wept, but he wept in faith. And then he refused to get bitter. And then thirdly, this is a powerful step to victory that David took on the worst day of his life. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, I am not encouraged by my circumstances I am encouraged because I'm focused on God. He wept, he refused to become bitter, and then he encouraged himself in the Lord. His own men talked about stoning him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. He's standing there in his house, is still smoking and on fire in the whole city. His children have been kidnapped. His finances have been devastated. He's lost everything, but in that moment, he said, I still can find the courage to get up and do what God called me to do. He knew I would be here. He knew this would happen. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you do when tragedy hits your life? When you lose your job, when you lose your business, when the doctor's report is bad, when you end up in a divorce that you didn't want? What do you do? The one translation said when he encouraged himself in the Lord, you limit your focus to God. You get God tunnel vision. You focus on how mighty he is, how powerful he is, how faithful he is, how he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you no matter what happens. In Acts 26 and verse 2, the apostle Paul said, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. I think myself happy. One translation said, I command my emotional state to be one of joy and happiness. Another translation said, I choose the joy of the Lord as my dominant emotion. Hallelujah. In other words, you just get up and you say, I can have a cheerful consistency. I don't have to be laying down in depression and fear and worry all the time. That's not God's will for your life. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God. He's still mighty. He's still powerful. He's still fighting for you. He's still on your side. Shout, depression will not dominate me. Fear will not dominate me. Worry and defeat and failure will not dominate me. I will encourage myself in the Lord my God. 
when the, when, the, when the lepers started walking by faith, the Bible said God magnified the sound of their steps. Have you ever read that? It uses the word magnified the sound of their steps. You know how you magnify God when you walk by faith, no matter what you're going through, and you don't know how you're going to make it, and you don't know what you're going to do, but you keep walking by faith? You magnify God. And you know what the Scripture said? David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt. It's like taking a magnifying glass, and instead of magnifying the problem, you take the magnifying glass and you put it on God and on his promises and he gets blown up in your life and you know another I, I'm just gonna preach it in Acts chapter 10 do you know what the Bible said the Bible said they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God one of the reasons you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and get a prayer language and pray in the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit will magnify God you can be so burdened and so beat up but when you begin to pray in the Spirit and Worship God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And boy, when you begin to magnify the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit praying through you, then God is bigger than any mountain or any giant you're facing. I choose the joy of the Lord. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. Isn't that something? And then number four, I'm almost done. But then he did something powerful. He inquired and said, God, should I pursue or should I just give up on this dream? And when he inquired of the Lord, here's the, here's the fourth thing he did. He got a word from the Lord. Listen, that gave him a vision on the inside of total victory. Nothing had changed. He got a word from the Lord. There are two Hebrew words in your Bible for the, for the word. There's logos. That's the word of God in general from Genesis to Revelations. That's a general, that's the Bible, that's God's word, that's logos. Then there's a word called rhema. And rhema is spoken, a spoken specific now word for the right person at the right time. And when you get it, it is not some kind of vague impression. It is, when God is speaking a rhema to you, it's not like it's kind of sort and you're trying to apply it to your life somehow, but it really doesn't fit. But when God speaks a word to you, it's like thunder in your spirit. It's like suddenly, even though you're in the same situation, he still had the smoke, he still had the fire, he still had the missing kids, he still had the family devastated, he still had the money messed up, but right in the middle of it, when he got a word from the Lord, suddenly he had a vision of victory in the same circumstances. It was a specific word for a specific person in a specific situation. And when you get a word like that, God says, now it's up to you to stand up and take what I gave you and fight. And when I tell you to move, move, for you shall recover it all. Give God a big praise if you believe it. Your vision is your future. Job chapter 39 said the eagle spies out its prey from afar. Eagles can see from where they are to where they're going when the Holy Spirit comes on an eagle. But too many Christians are chickens pecking around in old McDonald's farmyard and all you see is the mess you're in down here. 
But when the Lord gives you a word, then suddenly, like an eagle, you can see from afar. I may not look good right now, but I know what God's showing me. And my vision is my victory. My vision is going to... I have a picture on the inside of where I'm headed, and it's stronger than what I'm facing on the outside. Oh, hallelujah. I know I'm preaching the truth right now. I do. Seven times in the Bible, God asks men, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Because I can, I can preach it, but if you don't see it, until you get a picture of it on the inside, it'll never change your attitude. It'll never change your praise. You're still coming in, I'm praising, but nothing ain't changed. But well, you, you're getting it backwards. When you get a word from the Lord and you allow it to get inside of you, Fear, fear is a dark room where you develop your negatives, but faith is a room where God develops the positives, and he says, you hadn't seen nothing like What do you see? Because I see victory. What do you see? I see triumph. What do you see? I see you recovering it all, and if you don't recover it, I'm going to replace it, and a joy season is coming to your life greater than what you lost. Oh, I want somebody to praise him at every campus. Praise him. Somebody's getting a rhema word today. He got a vision of total victory. He got a vision of restoration. And the Lord said to him, you shall recover it all. I'm telling you, I, I read this verse this week. And I wrote it down, Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. God said, Abram, lift up your eyes now. Boy, God help me to preach to somebody watching me on television, somebody watching online, and you, you're having the worst season and the worst situation and the worst days of your life. You're crying yourself to sleep and you're broken, and I don't minimize it. We've been there. We've been there as a family. We, it felt, felt like we lived there for a couple of years, but I'm not living there now. And he said, lift up your eyes, listen to this, and look from the place where you are. For all the land, north, south, east, and west that I show you, I will give you and your descendants after you. Don't be confined to where you are. Lift up your eyes from where you are and say, I won't always be depressed. I won't always be defeated. I won't always be alone. I won't always be struggling. I won't always be an alcoholic or a drug addict. I won't always be in a position, in a place of failure. But God opened my eyes and he got a vision, David did, on the day the worst tragedy of his life. He got a vision of victory. I'm telling you today, the last thing he did, and this is so important, I feel this thing down in my bones. Can you tell? I love this last point. David got mad as Hades. That's the Greek word for hell. He got mad at the devil. Now, his soldiers got mad at him, but he knew who the real enemy was. My battle is not with flesh and blood. 
And the Bible said that they took David down behind a rock or a boulder. And when he was eavesdropping on the Amalekites that had kidnapped his family and burned his city and stolen all of he looked and saw the gold and silver on the camels. He looked in the Bible. Your Bible said that they were they were laughing and they were dancing and they were drinking wine. They put the verse up. They were drinking and dancing and partying. I could see Abigail, David's wife, being forced to get out there and men walking up and putting their hands on her and hugging her. And David's, he, he's, I mean, he, he, was not, he was not a girly man. David was a killer. David was vicious. David was so bloody. God said, I can't let you. You've, done, you've been in war and you've done things. I can't even let you build my temple. I'm going to use your boy because you got a lot of blood on you. And David sees them touching his wife and sees his children huddled up over there crying and scared and holding one another. Sees his gold on their camels and suddenly something hit him. He said, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to sit back and just take this. I'm mad. It, that spirit that thinks that he can come in. You can't have my family. You can't have my children. You can't have my church. You can't have my nation. You can't have my, oh, you can't have my world. You can't have it. If I'm here, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on and clap your hands in faith right now. Whew. Listen to me. I close with this. You can go on and stand up, but don't move unless you're shouting. Can we offer God a praise right now just because it feels in order? David, David's mind became, and those 600... Can you imagine like the movie 300? He had 600 of them. Literally. Can you imagine how blind with rage when they saw their wives and their children being held captive? Can you imagine? You know, God... God himself has intense anger against the devil. That's why he created hell. There's a Bible verse. Maybe they looked it up. There's a Bible verse that says, Depart from me, you curse it into everlasting fire. Listen to this. Prepared for the devil. The reason that God ever made a hell is simply because God has an intense anger against the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy the devil and all of his demons. And God said, my anger is so, I am so furious at what he does to people. And I'm going to prepare a hell. And one day, one angel's going to wrap it around, a chain around Satan, and he'll be thrown into that hell that was prepared for him. Not for you, not for me. For him. And today, I want that to get a hold of us. 
Something happened to David. The Scripture says it in conclusion that David was greatly, greatly grieved. And he said, attack. Attack. He attacked them. All night and all day, he attacked them until he destroyed them. And he gathered the spoils, and it took three days to gather the victory for a battle that lasted one day. I know that I'm preaching to people today who are going through some of the very darkest days that you've ever faced. You're in a place called Ziglag. And the enemy whispers to you in that moment, it's not going to happen. You're never going to see a change, but he is a liar. It's no accident that you're here at any of our campuses online or right here in this building in Gainesville. Not one of you are here even by your choice. God brought you here. And in this room today, if you know I'm preaching to you, if you're in zigzag and it feels like it's some of the stuff that you don't know what you're going to do and how you're going to recover, God sent me today to tell you, you shall recover it all. And what you don't recover, He'll place, He'll replace with a season of joy again in your life. And if I'm preaching to you, this is big. If I'm preaching to you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, there are people all over this room who need to get mad at the devil, mad at what addiction is trying to do, mad at what lies and deception have done, mad at what the enemy is doing to you in relationships. God says today, I have a word and a picture of victory I want you to get. Lift up your eyes from where you are. You shall recover it all. And if you're in this room or at any of our campuses and you would say, Pastor, I feel so far from God. I've never wanted to quit. I've never wanted to give up like what I've been facing. I need a change. I need a deliverance. I need a breakthrough. I need God to visit me. I, I, I am I'm, I'm crying tears of unbelief and tears of grief. And, and, and it's gone beyond grief now into self-pity. And I, I, I don't like who I am. And I don't like where I am. And I, I'm ready. I'm ready to believe again. I want God today to touch me in a powerful way. I want to leave this place still got situations but I've got a voice above the voice of my own weeping that's leading me into absolute complete victory I know it if you'll follow that voice that voice will take you to victory he works all things for our good pastor pray for me I need to get right with God today if that's you boldly lift your hand right where you're standing I want to see it all over this room beautiful 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 raise those hands high all over this room every one of you that have your hand raised from the top to the bottom at every campus get out of your seat and come stand right down here in the front come as quick as you can don't talk yourself out of it don't negotiate your mind how you don't have to do it just do it just trust me for one time 
for one time. Put, put him first. Not your will, but thy will be done. That's it. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Come on. This is your altar call. This is your service. This is your moment. This is your rhema. This is your specific word for a specific time and place. This is it. They're coming. Clap your hands. You're, you're golf clapping. There are, there's rejoicing in heaven right now. Angels are shouting in heaven, according to Luke 16. We ought to praise him. We ought to thank him. We ought to encourage these people. Because God's doing a mighty, mighty, mighty work. That's it. That's it. That's it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, if you've been crying bitter tears, come on. If you feel like there's no way out, come on. If you feel like you're directionless and you don't know where to turn and what to do, come on. Uh, this is for you today. The Lord knows who you are. The Lord knows what you need. Hold on one moment. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. How many of you in this room today have faced days at Ziglag in your life? Be honest. And you didn't know if you were going to make it. And, and if you hadn't been there, by the time you get hair of this color, I'm like Samson. The longer it grows, the stronger I'm getting. Amen. <laughs> I keep wanting to cut it, but my wife told me not to, so I obey. I obey. I feel victory here this morning. I don't feel pity. I feel victory. I don't feel depression. I feel victory. The pain that you've gone through, it's what God's going to use. And now I'm praying a holy rage gets in you. And that we get mad at the devil. Who do you think you are? You're going to pay. I'm going to announce some things the next few weeks. And we're going, we're, you got a pastor and a pastor's wife that are mad at the devil. And so we're saying, oh, you thought you would hit us that way? Then we're going, we're going to counter. Here comes the retaliation. When the enemy comes in like a flood, here comes the retaliation of the Lord in a tsunami tidal wave. I don't know what hell thinks it's doing to this nation and this world, but you are not in control. Our God is in control, and we are his people. Let's get mad at the devil, not at people, not at people, not in flesh and blood. Let's get mad at, at the enemy, the devil. Raise your hands and pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I need you. I've cried, and I refuse bitterness. I'm not bitter against you. That's why I came to church today. That's why I've taken the time to listen to this message, because I'm not bitter. Take my tongue. Make it a tree of life. Let me speak words that heal and turn bitterness sweet. Start it in me, not somebody else. Start it in me. Start it in me. And oh God, I'm going to encourage myself. I receive focus on God. I'm going to magnify God. 
through praise and through worship. Oh, God, I receive encouragement. I encourage myself in the Lord. And, Lord, I believe that I have a word from you, and I get a vision of victory right now. I'm an eagle, and I look afar off from where I'm standing right now, and I see a place of victory. I see a conqueror in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I'm mad at the devil. Come on, lift your hands up and say, I plead the blood of Jesus against you, Satan. You can't have my family. You can't have my life. You can't have my body. You can't have me and hold me in the name of Jesus. Grief and sorrow, you must break and you must leave. And I receive the power to recover it all. Say that. Recover it all. And say this, what he doesn't recover, he will replace. Say this, my, I have another season of joy that's on the way. Now lift up your voice all over this building at every campus and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. If you believe it, it's like a volcano inside of you. I see it. I see it. I see victory. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin. And thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at JensenFranklin.tv.